You know, it's, it's very hard to make yourself, you know, get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. And it's just one decision you have to make. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I am here today with Turner Osler, who is a trauma surgeon turned epidemiologist now turned inventor and entrepreneur. You have a BA in neurobiology from Princeton. You're an MD from the Medical College of Virginia. You have a surgical residency at Columbia and Harvard, a fellowship at the University of New Mexico. And then of course, after that 20 years uh, in both academia as well as a trauma surgeon, and you have over 300 peer reviewed papers and book chapters and decided, you know what? Forget all this. I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna make a chair. So we're going to have a lot of interesting conversations about career paths, about changing fields, career transitions. And of course, the most important reason we're here today is to talk about sitting and specifically sitting in your chair. So Turner, really, really excited about today's conversation. Thank you for being here. Well, Zach, it's great to meet you. I've enjoyed your podcast a lot. Well, I very, very much appreciate that. Here's where I want to begin. This is an age-old battle that I've had with many people in my industry throughout the many years that I've worked in it. Now that I'm speaking to a consummate professional, not only on the medical side, but also on the ergonomic and chair design side, ergonomically speaking, I believe the Aeron chair was designed by Satan himself. Agree or disagree? Well, yes and no, because I know the guy who designed the Herman Miller Aeron chair, and I like him. 
I'm, All right, I'm so gonna... now let's take the person away from it because I didn't realize how personal we were going to get so quickly. How about the idea of it? Because I know no, nothing no, 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 about no. the person. I'm sure he's wonderful. No, no. So here's the story. I was um, I was at an ergonomic conference um, and, uh, you know, showing our chairs and some guy walks by and he's got, you know, stubble and a scarf and groupies. I mean, he's obviously an important guy. And um, he walks by and he sits down in our chair and he looks a little puzzled. and then. Um, his wife sits down on her chair and she says, oh, Francisco, this is terrific. And uh, it turns out that this guy was on the Herman Miller Aeron design team in 1994. So he sits down on her chair and we have a very interesting conversation because he's all about chair design and, and uh, ergonomics and office furniture and manufacturing. And I'm like a nobody emeritus professor from the University of Vermont. You know, I know about anatomy and physiology and anthropology and a bunch of other ologies. But this guy is like a, a legend in the chair world. And um, so we have a, an animated conversation and then we split up. But we swapped emails. And about a week later, I get an email from this guy and he says, I feel terrible. I've spent my whole life trying to make chairs so comfortable, no one would want to get up. And now you tell me that they are killing people. But what do you want me to do? We've convinced people they can't sit without armrest and a backrest and a headrest and lumbar support. And now we can't sell a chair unless it has these things. So the, the poor guy got it, but the whole industry is trapped by their legacy. It's a, it's a very interesting problem. Well, little did I know, I knew this story because you talked about it in your TED Talk, which we're going to link to, but you didn't mention that the person in that story was one of the members of the design team and Herman Miller that designed the Aeron chair. So that was completely coincidental, but I find that hilarious that that's where I randomly started and here we are. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a very interesting story because it tells you so much about the chair industry. You know, they've been, they've been selling the same, basically the same chair for over 50 years. And 80% of America still has back pain. If the backrest and the lumbar support are the answer, how come everybody still has back pain? Well, the interesting thing when you bring up the industry, there is a phrase that you use that I'm totally going to be stealing, which is <laughs> big chair. Like everybody knows like, you know, big oil or big pharma, but to you, big chair is a whole nother thing. Um, no, and, and, and it's not a made up term. Um, another story, I, I gave a TED talk a while ago. So I'm, you know, I, I, I have an affection for the TED group. And, um, and they reached out to me and said, you know, we're going to have our big TED thing in LA, you know, where, where, you know, only 300 people are allowed in and they have names like Bill. Hillary, you know, names like that. And, and, and the tuition is, the donation is 24 grand. And so the TED group reaches out to me and says, you know, we'd like to have some of your chairs as favors to give away to people who come to the, the event. Like we said, well, that'd be great. You know, we're happy to donate chairs. Okay, 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 okay. And then like a couple of days later, we got a call from the TED people saying, sorry, um, <clears throat> Steelcase has had their lawyers look over contracts and uh, we're not allowed to use any other kinds of furniture. So uh, Steelcase is a billion dollar company. It's been in business for a hundred years, you know, trying to crush a little startup. It was really, it was really amazing.
I, I, I'm flattered, really. <laughs> but they, this is big chair. You know, they they uh, they have ideas about how things should be done, and they're they're not above trying to kick the legs out from under upstarts. All right. So uh, there's a lot that I want to get into next. Just a quick note for the audience. Uh, As they may have heard, there are a couple of small technical issues. We've worked them out. Um, So it'll sound a little bit different uh, going forwards, but you're going to sound a whole lot better and clearer for us, which is really important because I think of all the things, all the messages that you have out there, this might be the most important one. Answer for me the following. Are you just trying to make a better chair? Um, No, it's not really about the chair. It's really about changing people's the way people sit, the people's relationship to sitting. And, um, you know, we've, we've tried to do that a lot of different ways, you know, apps that reminding people to stand up and, and, you know, there's a lot of good research that's been done, you know, double blind crossover studies, looking at how often you have to get up and walk around in order to not be undone biochemically by your chair. And, um, it turns out you have to get up every half hour and walk around for five minutes. Um, you know, it sounds simple enough, but, um, you know, that's 16 interruptions a day um, and 80 minutes that you aren't at your computer. Uh, hard sell to employees and maybe their, their employers as well. So in order to get people to, to sit differently, you you really you can't do it by asking them. You have to change their built environment so that it becomes non-negotiable. I, I learned this in graduate school when I was uh, my mentor in, in uh, public health was uh, uh, Professor Susan Baker at the Johns Hopkins uh, School of Public Health. And she said, you know, you, you can't ask people to do stuff. You have to make it impossible for them to do the wrong thing. And this is how how it has to be. You know, we we made a huge we, we can beg people not to drink and drive. But, you know, what you need is divided highways so that people can't hit each other head on. You need airbags so people will be protected no matter what they do. By changing the built environment, you can keep people safe. Asking people to do stuff you really doesn't succeed. Yeah. And the, the quote that really resonated with me was where you had said that I'm not trying to make a better chair. I'm trying to change the idea of what a chair is. And as soon as I saw that, like, this is a guy that I want to talk to, because otherwise it's just variations on the same theme and variations on the same theme have gotten us exactly where we are now. Right. And and the the people who write the books on ergonomics are just kind of copying off each other's paper. There really hasn't been any new thinking in ergonomics for the last 50 years. It's 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 really kind of shocking. Um, and when when we show our chairs to er, people who have you know formal ergonomic training, they take one look and they say. It's very interesting, but no one could sit on that all day. You know, you have to, no one is is strong enough to sit all day without a chair to, a chair back to lean against. You know, that, that can't be right. I'm 73 years old, but I'm fine without it. And actually, for most of human history, people's chairs didn't have backs. I mean, chairs with backs didn't come along until, you know, the 1900s, for crying out loud. You know, before that, people sat on stools and benches and uh, or or not at all. So, so the idea that, that you can't sit without all the the supports, the backrest, the headrest, the footrest, it's it's preposterous, and yet it's dogma in the ergonomic world, or like you said, it's in the world of big chair, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, so, and they don't they don't want to change anything because they are making bank. 
which, you know, much larger issue far beyond big chair. That's the biggest issue for big pharma or big oil or anything else, right? It's not about what's what's best for the country or the world or the individual. It's about what's best for the bottom line. And it sounds like big chair has the same problem. And I find myself battling these, you know, when I was a resident, when I was a physician, you know, we're constantly battling big pharma, you know, trying to find drug combinations that wouldn't bankrupt a poor patient. And, you know, and it wasn't until later that I discovered these drugs don't cost but, but pennies. And the drug companies are, you know, just wringing the last dime out of these poor people. So, you know, I came to have a very... Um, uh, uh, you know, a very severe view of big pharma. And I'm afraid my chair isn't much better. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you brought up this idea of your previous life, your former life, and when you're fighting big pharma, because what I actually want to do is bookend this conversation where we started with the T's, going a little bit more into the chair, and I want to come back to it later. But I'm actually just as, or frankly, even more fascinated by your career trajectory because I'm really interested in how you've done so many different things and then decided in what would you most would consider the final stage of your life, eh, I'm going to start over and try something totally different. So I want to learn a little bit more about your background because your background is actually very relevant to when I say background. I say that with partial pun intended. <laughs> but for most of the people, if not all the people that I've talked to about sitting being the new smoking or other manufacturers of other chairs – they didn't have the level of understanding of the human body or movement or the spine that you do from your decades uh, in the, the medical world. So can you give us a little bit more of a background of where you came from and what led you to this point of deciding to make this chair? Yeah, no, I, uh, I, no one is more surprised by this turn of my life than me or maybe my wife. She's, she's like, she's like a normal rheumatologist, you know, she's shocked by, you know, what's happened to her norm, stayed normal uh, trauma surgeon husband. Um, but, um, you know, I, I got, I got my first degree uh, from Princeton in neurobiology and then went to medical school and, you know, surgery is just, uh, you know, it's just too exciting to pass up. You know, I just can't understand how anybody, who went to medical school didn't want to be a and most people did but most people were smarter than that because it's a lot of darn work um you know the surgical residencies go on for five or six years then you have to do a fellowship it's 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 quite a long path but you have the um incredible opportunity to to look in, under the hood of, of the human body you know you get to go into basically things that uh, nobody else gets to see and it really changes how you think about the human body you know um you know I, I you you just come to be more and more amazed at how perfect it is I, I mean everything just fits and works which is an odd thing to say because the reason we're operating on people is things aren't quite perfect um but but for the most part you know the, the design is pretty darn good and so um you know it comes as sort of a shock that uh 80% of America has back pain. How, how bizarre is that? You know, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but and to, to continue the, the career trajectory, um, so, you know, medical school and then residency and then fellowship and, and trauma surgery, which is um, the most general kind of surgery there is because people can be shot anywhere. And if you wreck your car, any body cavity can be ruined. So I, I spent 10 years on the trauma service, running the trauma service at the University of New Mexico, and then here on the trauma service at the University of Vermont. But I ultimately aged out of, you know, taking night call. I'm okay staying up all night. It's just the next day wasn't so, so great. 
So um, I, along the way, I'd gotten a master's degree in biostatistics, and I'd started doing epidemiology. Um, I got a grant from the NIH for a couple of million dollars to study how we know which trauma centers are doing better than other trauma centers, so the, the laggards can be brought up to speed by the leaders and and quite a lot of math involved. And when I started doing that, I was mostly writing computer code. And so for the first time in my life, I was sitting because as a surgeon, you just run around the OR, the ER, the the ICU the clinic. Um, and my back started to bother me. And I thought, well, you know, seize them. Um, but, you know, how hard can this be? I've been to medical school. I, I, I understand statistics and research. And it turned out that it, it was kind of hard because no real good research had been done. Um, and and the more I looked, the more astonished I was at, at just the, the poverty of what we call ergonomic science. It was it was really laughably bad. These guys are showing pie charts to each other for crying out loud. This is it beggars the imagination. So, but if you bring you know serious research tools to it, you kind of come to the conclusion that the what we're calling ergonomic chairs are basically a failure. And I had other interests um, in body work, Feldenkrais and um, Pilates and yoga, and and also um, uh, martial arts, uh, Aikido, which has a lot to do with body posture and using your spine to move other people around. Um, and all of these things kind of kind of came together for me that, um, you know, really your body is perfectly designed to generate its own posture. And when you try and impose posture on the body with external struts, the backrest, the headrest, the footrest, lumbar support, all that kind of stuff, you wind up just kind of ruining the, the basic balanced posture that is integral to martial arts and dance and walking. Um, so, uh, you know, I thought, well, let's just make a chair that allows people to adopt that posture unconsciously. Um, and so, you know, we, we found that by making the seat pan of a chair un, just a little unstable, people would suddenly be responsible for their own posture. Um, and it's, it's very interesting because people have to learn how to walk. And it's a it's a system where the body programs itself, um, and this is why all kids go through creeping and crawling and toddling and walking, um, as the body kind of uh, figures out its reflex arcs to get it to move gracefully through through space. Kids are laying down the synapses and the spinal reflexes that allow balanced posture. They're laying down millions of new synapses a second as they're developing their, their spinal reflexes. You have those wired in at the spinal reflex level for your whole life. It's just a matter of accessing. And if you put people on an unstable surface, you know, they their spinal reflexes immediately kick in. It's as though their their spine was having a, a silent conversation with gravity. You can listen into that conversation if you want, but you don't need to because the spine is going to orient itself in space um, automatically. It's mostly a matter of getting out of the way and letting the the brilliant architecture of the body work as it's intended. The thing that I find very fascinating about talking to you specifically about this topic. And I'll make sure we put in the show notes, the litany, the multitude of conversations I've had with others about sitting and chairs and movement. And I've talked to jo Dr. Joan Vernicos, formerly NASA scientist, 
Um, I've talked to uh, Dr. John Rady, who's the author of Spark and really kind of generated this movement around movement and how it affects creativity and thought and cognition and all of the, the brain neurochemistry. I've talked to Dr. Kelly Starrett. But none of, none of those people who are some of the foremost experts in this field have literally held somebody's spine in their hands and fixed it. And not only that, but with the epidemiology background, I'm fascinated in any field by the intersection of different specialties, where it would be very easy to say you had a, a past life in medicine and you decided you wanted to quote unquote start over and become an entrepreneur. But the intersection of all of your specialties and your skills and your abilities in the medical field intersecting with the world of making a chair you're probably the world's foremost expert on somebody that both understands the spine, has worked with it in a life and death situation, knows how to do the research, and knows how to design something that actually works. No, it's 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 shocking that my career kind of led me to this point, but then um, it kind of let I kind of let myself down because I I don't have any entrepreneurial skills or um, ability really or frankly much interest you know I, i'm more interested in the design and and how people's physiology and anatomy interact in space with unstable surfaces so uh, this is a story i love to tell because uh, my uh, son isn't here my our, our son went off to cornell um to study computational biology and with the expectation he'd go to medical school too so he comes home after four years and he discovers that I've pissed away um, his inheritance on this crazy chair project. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's horrified. And um, and he, he discovers that the only way he can claw back his inheritance is to try and put this project on a, on a more sustainable uh, entrepreneurial business footing. So, so he got a printer so we could print labels so we wouldn't have to, like, you know, fill them out by hand when we send out chair. We're making all these things in the basement kind of stuff. And my, my son was, uh, you know, he was he, so he got us organized. And so really, he's the entrepreneurial enforcer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, the, you, so uh, most, if not all good businesses, they need a visionary and then they need somebody that can operate. I didn't exactly. presume that you and I were going to be talking about Facebook ad funnels, right? Uh, no. That's probably not your specialty. But the, again, it just it, it fascinates me that at the intersection of these three areas of actually physically doing the surgery and understanding how the spine works at the, the most advanced level and understanding how to do research and understanding how to create a better chair, like the intersection of those, that's a very, very unique place for you to be in. Yeah, and and it all really kind of comes from uh, really surgery because when you walk into an operating room, you know, with water dripping off of your elbows and, and if it's trauma surgery, you have to be able to walk into the room and say, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm sure I can fix it. You know? You know, it's 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 crazy talk. You know, it's 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 hubris of the worst kind. But if you can't say that and mean it, you got no business being in the operating room. And often you're in an operating room with you know a, a team that's just assembled on the fly, so you don't even necessarily know all of the, the scrub tech and the circulating nurse and the anesthesiology. So you have to build a team rather quickly and get the best performance you can out of everybody. Same with entrepreneurial projects. You know, I've been very lucky to run into 
brilliant um, uh, industrial designers who are just swept up in the project, you know, or um, we have a structural engineer who, you know, does finite state element analysis for us. So all of these people have really special skills that they bring to the table and are happy to work on the project because they share the vision of trying to change the way people sit. So it's not that I'm good at all these things, but I am good at meeting people who are good at these things. Yeah, and that's that's the the hallmark of a good leader, and uh, whether it's a good CEO or at least a good visionary and founder, it's knowing where your weaknesses are and filling those weaknesses with strengths by surrounding yourself with people that are better than you are at those things, which I and admire. Burlington, Burlington is Burlington, Vermont, where I am, is just the place to do it because it's it's big enough that there's somebody who can do anything, and small enough that you know people do stuff with a handshake, and so you can do it very quickly. Yeah, that's that's a good combination. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Uh, what, I'm, uh, what I want to go into next that I'm equally fascinated by, there are a whole host of reasons that sitting is really, really bad for us, and we can get into some of those. But the reason for me personally that I both discovered that I needed to stop sitting and I needed to move more didn't so much have to do with just back pain or, oh, they say shortening my lifespan, but what do I care? I'm in my 20s. I'll deal with that, you know, in a few decades. It was how detrimental sitting and being sedentary was to my creativity and my creativity and focus. Those are my entire livelihood. If I can't sit and focus and solve creative problems, I'm not going to get paid. And I can't imagine maybe there are a handful of jobs at most where the ability to focus for a long period of time, for a long period of time like you had to, is literally life or death. 
right? So for you, you went from I am laser sharp focus with literally somebody's life in my hands to all of a sudden I'm sitting all day long and my back hurts. But I would imagine that you probably noticed there were a lot of other cognitive effects to this new life where you were sitting all the time. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's very easy to stay focused in the operating room. Um, and um, and and you're very willing to adopt, you know, whatever posture it takes to like, you know, get to the posterior aspect of the spleen or, or you know, the, the, the hilum of the liver. You know, you, you, you just can't. But, but these things are transient. Um, when you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. If people were uh, able to change their posture and get up and, and do something else, none of this would, would be at issue. But in order to focus, people find they need to be uh, at a desk. And as soon as they're at a desk and sitting still, now a lot of bad things happen because your uh, pulmonary excursion, the, the amount of movement that you have in your chest wall goes down. And so you're moving less air in and out of your lungs. And um, there's dead space in the trachea and the bronchi. So you really um, aren't getting as much oxygen as you would as if you were just standing up. Also, um, blood pools in your legs if you aren't using the muscles in your legs. I, the um, There's a column of blood that goes from your right atrium down to your ankles. And the blood has to come up against gravity to get to your heart. Typically, that's done by uh, when you're walking, the, the big muscles in your calves and your thighs are constantly flexing. The veins pass through the muscles. And so when the, when the vein is squeezed, the blood is squeezed back toward the heart because the deep veins have valves in them. You have valves in the veins of your hand and all your veins have valves in them. So you do a lot of blood pumping by, with your legs by walking. When you sit still, your legs are dependent. They're hanging down, the blood pools. Then the veins uh, dilate and really not much, not much happens. So the blood that's coming back has been sitting around for a while and is way low in oxygen. So, you know, we can measure these kinds of things. It's harder to measure creativity, um, but people feel it. Um, And we've got like 12,000 of our chairs out in the world, and we swap email with everybody. And one guy who worked for uh, Goldman Sachs sent us an email and said, you know, I used to need an espresso at two and another one at four to get through the afternoon, but now I don't, after he got one of our chairs. Um, so, you know, people find that um, merely moving their blood around because they're moving their body around makes a huge difference in their perceived level of, of alertness. Well, for the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking that's something I'll worry about in a few decades. You're going to feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. To me, I mean, that was life-changing. And it's now been so long since I was a chronic sitter, I don't even remember what it felt like. If you were to put a security camera in my office, you'd think that I was a squirrel in a burlap sack because I am (laughs) constantly standing, sitting on the couch in my core 360 chair, which we're going to get even uh, deeper into in a few minutes. I'm going out taking a walk outside over. Like, I cannot sit still. And the amount of energy and creativity that that gives me to just continue to to push through and do the work that's necessary with all of these consistent breaks. I've had days where I will be at like another office and I have to sit in an office chair. And by the early afternoon, I'm just like, kill me now. Like, I just, I cannot do this in this environment. And like you've already talked about, the environment shapes who we are. 
right? We can shape the environment once, but the environment just continues to shape us forever. So what we put in our environment is so important. Mm -hmm. No, and and by changing the environment, um, you know, it's, it's very hard to make yourself, you know, get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. And it's just one decision you have to make. You swap your chair out and you're done rather than having decide to, you know, get up every half hour and run up and down the stairs. So um, there's there's a lot to be said for um, designing an environment so people don't have the opportunity to behave badly. Their 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 environment just um, gives them good behavior for free. Well, speaking of good behavior for free, it seems seems to me that the simpler solution is the opposite of sitting, which is standing, isn't it? Yeah, no, you would think, but um, standing is just the linguistic opposite of sitting. If you look at people sitting, they're slumped and and, and um, pretty much immobile. And if you look at most people at standing desks, they lock one hip out and lean against the desk, and then they don't move again. So standing is really just as immobilizing as sitting, just in a different posture. And it turns out that the standing immobilized posture is, if you can believe it, worse than sitting immobilized. This is a shocking sentence because standing desks are, as you probably know, a billion-dollar industry. That's They're the new panacea now, right? Ten years ago, I would ask for a standing desk, and they would look at me cross-eyed. Now everybody's got one. But when I say, is it height-adjustable, they say no. I'm like, well, that's just bad. So, so the idea that you know all all we that a standing desk is the opposite of sitting and will solve the problem turns out to be just a misunderstanding. Standing isn't the opposite of sitting. Moving is the opposite of sitting. And standing still, it, well, it, it you can read in the Geneva Accords, standing is a stress posture. Um, you know, it it is a war crime to make people stand for hours at a time. And if you have a terrorist who got it, and you want to know where the ticking bomb is, just make him stand, and he will tell you. We, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who said, you know, I try to stand all day at my standing, but I just can't. It hurts my back so much. It hurts my legs. And and all I can say is, you know, you should listen. To, to the the fact that you're, it makes your back hurt and makes your legs hurt because that's God whispering in your ear. Don't do that. Um, and you know we know that standing is bad for people. I, I had a career in the operating room and I've stripped miles of varicose veins out of people's legs that came from standing on assembly lines because if you stand with a column of blood from your right atrium down to your feet it dilates the veins and over time the veins get overstretched and they can't recover so, and then you know they get inflamed and they hurt and and the and then we take them to the ord it's not an elegant operation I'll tell you but it's an operation you don't want um uh, so you know, there, there are very clear downsides to standing for prolonged periods of time. An adjustable height desk gets you up and moving around. Uh, it's, it's a different project. But people who are standing stock still all day, check out uh, uh, people in the, the supermarket. Um, you know, they complain loudly about how much their legs hurt them. And those of us who've, you know, stood for long operations in the operating room, oh, my Jesus, you can't wait to get out of the operating room, get your feet higher than your, your heart for just a few minutes because it feels so much better, even a long plane flight. And if you if you go on a long plane flight and happen do this experiment after the next time you're on a plane flight, take your finger and push the just right in front of your tibia, you know, six inches above your ankle, and it'll just 
sink in and leave a dent in your flesh, edema, swelling, because water plasma leaks out of your veins when they're when your legs are dependent. If you aren't walking and pumping the lymph back into your into your central circulation, your ankles swell. And you know this has several downsides. It's hard on the tissue. It, it hurts. It feels bad. And it predisposes you to um, deep vein thrombosis. So every so often, somebody will you know get up after a long flight and fall over dead because they flipped a PE. Um, so you know, the, 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 so there's 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 a lot of downside to sitting still or standing still, where the blood is pooling and the the plasma is leaking into your tissue and, and the swelling. You just have to look at it to know it's not right. So then I just need to get a pair of cushy shoes. That should solve it, right? Nice, cushy, <laughs> soft shoes, maybe insoles. I'm good to go. Yeah, well, if only, if only. The, the problem is that your whole leg has swollen. And and so and now you find people wearing compression stockings, you know, trying to find a workaround to do that, which were, you know, invented for people who'd had answer surgery and stuff. So it's it's a workaround. But by the time you need compression stockings, you need to kind of rethink uh, how you're living your life. So if they want to talk a little bit more about standing, then we're going to find kind of this, this in-between. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a product that I've been recommending for years and years. I don't know if you're familiar with the Topo Mat. It's created by a company called Ergo Driven. I don't know it. All right. So this, I'm going to introduce you and in the, the audience is like, oh, my God, he's been talking about this for a decade. I want to introduce <laughs> you to it now because I think there's a world where it might be the equivalent to standing what your chair is to sitting, which I've been looking for for years and coming uh-huh. from both your background medically and now your background designing this product. What I have here, my audio might get weird because I have to step a little ways from the microphone. It's a standing mat, uh-huh. but it's not flat, right? It's got all this different terrain. Mm-hmm. And what the designer of this mat has found is that it subconsciously promotes consistent and constant movement because it's uneven. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had like just the, like the cook, the chef's mat, right? Where it's just flat and I'm still stuck in one position, but I'm constantly doing this all day long without thinking about it. Uh-huh. And I still don't stand for 12 hours at a time, but I feel a lot less locked in. And no, it no, seems I, to I, I, I love that idea. You know, the, the idea, you know, the, the human foot, well, one quarter of the bones in the human body are in the feet. Um, you know, I mean, if you there's a it's a homologous to the hand. There, there's a, but um, so the, your feet are designed to do these amazing things about walking on uneven ground. And there's a transverse arch and a longitudinal arch and the plantar fascia and, and the lumbrical muscle. It's, it's a it's a marvelous machine that's designed to do amazing things. And then we stuff it in a box surrounded by pillows and we walk on a surface that is flat to one part in 10 million. And so the foot really doesn't have a chance to do any of its cool stuff for most of our waking lives. And so what happens is, you know, the the toes are looking to get purchase as you're walking. Um, They can't because they're inside of a slippery shoe. And so over time, they keep trying and trying and trying and trying until you wind up with contractures in your little toe and maybe some other toes and then bunions and then and then the the joints erode through the skin. And pretty soon we're snipping out pieces of bone and taking out toes. Well, Hippocrates observed 2000 years ago, that which is used develops and that which is not used 
wastes away. And if you stuff your foot in a in a in a padded shoe and then walk on a you know perfectly flat surface, the foot really kind of loses. Uh, well, it, it 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 just loses its architecture and finally doesn't function well. The idea of a mat that lets your foot kind of do what it's designed to do is is really brilliant. I I had the idea that it would be fun to make a treadmill only it wouldn't have a flat surface. It would be like you know. Mm-hmm running through the mountains, you know, with bumps and lumps that would like come around in sequence. My, my, my son wrestled me to the ground and told me we can't do that. Oh, well, if, <laughs> if you're looking for a tester for your hiking trail treadmill prototype, um, I would be it because I find myself all the time uh, when I'm out walking somewhere trying to get away from concrete. I'm trying like if I if I'm on a sidewalk, I'm actually off the sidewalk walking through the grass and the dirt. So it sounds like the, basically I have a, a, tripe, a trifecta of products that I can't live without. One of them is the topo mat, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that when I'm standing, because I find I'm a lot more active and I can communicate better and speak better when I'm standing, you wouldn't catch me dead either teaching or podcasting from a chair. Mm-hmm. But when I'm being creative, I like to be sitting in the chair. That's when I'm doing my editing or my writing. So there's different stances for different positions. But having the topo mat is I got to have it. Another one is I have to have an active type of balance chair. And the third one in the trifecta is minimal shoes. So if no, I'm, no, I absolutely, you know, I, 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 uh, I know the guys uh, at Vivo Barefoot and I know the guys at um, uh, Zero Shoes. Um, I was going to bring up Steve Sashin, the creator of Zero Shoes, has also been on the podcast and we've talked about the foot extensively so that's what reminded me of that no no so steve is such a great guy i was on his podcast actually you know he's, mm-hmm. he's done so many different things but you know we, we were it's just like we're we're brothers from different mothers or something mm-hmm. because you know his his idea is that if you free the foot to behave as it's designed all the problems are solved and our chair is basically the the barefoot shoe of sitting um because it allows you to express your natural posture without any um, uh, imposition from the outside of expectations of chair designers, uh, just just like barefoot shoes. Um, so, no, I um, there, there's a lot of synergy there. So I love this idea that you said that your chair is basically the barefoot shoe of sitting because this to me is the perfect encapsulation and just very simplification of why I think that this chair might actually finally be the one because mm-hmm. I've looked for years. I've tried so many different ones. I've done the the Mogo stool. I've done the pivot chair. I've done the, the sit tight. And mm-hmm. all of them are kind of different variations of the same theme and that they're trying to keep you active. And they're trying to keep you balanced or keep you like they're trying to keep you off balance, actually, to be more accurate. But what I found over and over and over again with everything that I tried is that I'd use it for a little while. I'm like, "Ooh, this is great. And then halfway through the day, I'm like, oh, my God, this is awful. Right. (laughs) There's just something like I couldn't do it consistently. The where I actually started, which is you can talk to this a little bit more if you want to. I actually started with, oh, just sit on a balance ball. Oh mm-hmm. my God, is that horrible for you? But you think it's active and you think it improves your posture. But three minutes later, brr, it's horrible, right? But I started with the balance ball chair. Then I tried all these other options. The closest I got was the sit tight. But even that, it just after a while, it just didn't click. And the difference for me is that when I saw your chair, I'm like, you know what? I'll give another one a try. But then I forget that I'm sitting in it. And I don't have that point two or three hours later. Where I'm like, oh, I got to get off of this chair and it's too much work. Or like, this is the first one that I completely subconsciously just kind of melt into and forget that I'm in a chair exactly like I feel with a topo mat. 
Right. And that's and that's the whole point, you know, by by getting out of the way and letting people's spines have a silent conversation with gravity, you know, their spine is constantly active, which involves a lot of muscles. Also, if you if you move anything, you move everything. So um, by moving around on our chair, it turns out that your ankles are moving, your toes are moving, you know, and and. Uh, it's it almost recapitulates walking because the pelvis is free and you're perched on your ischial tuberosities and so um it's it's kind of like walking only you don't have to decide where to go and at kind of a low um, metabolic cost our chairs bump up metabolic rate by 20 or 30 percent like like most active chairs. The thing that makes our chair different is that many of these chairs, like the uh, sit tight and the and the swapper and all these things, are basically a seat on a pole and it and the pole tips. And then you can just kind of lean against that post and nothing much happens. Our chairs tip in all direction, right? We, we put the, the the center of rotation as close to the, the tip of the coccyx as we could get it. Um, and in order to get that kind of motion, you know, we 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 had to like invent this thing. This is like uh, the rocker that makes our chair work. It's the intersection of two cylinders at right angles, um, non-coincident axes, and possibly different radii. Um, so you you wind up with a shape, and if you put it on a surface, it rocks. You put another surface on top of it, it rocks. They're ninety degrees opposed. It rocks in every direction. But because it's just a geometric solid. It, it doesn't wear out. It's 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 good forever, and it's inexpensive to make. We we injection mold these things, you know, five miles from where I'm sitting. You know, it's two pieces of polycarbonate that you know fit together and and create this um, this basic. Well, it's a, it's a new geometric solid. Um, Archimedes sniffed around it but missed it. Uh, we found it and um, patented it. Turns out you can own a shape. You know. How about that? Who knew? I'm curious who owns the circle. Um, but the, the interesting thing about it is so simple. You just look at it and you're like, oh, okay, but I can only imagine the process to get to that level of simplicity because there's nothing harder than simplicity. No, no, no. It, this surely was not the first thing. And, and you know, I, I there's a community of people who, who are engaged in trying to make active chairs. And I, I swap email with 20, maybe 30 different guys who have different kinds of chairs, different ideas about this stuff. And one guy in Israel had like this immensely complicated things with levers and, and gears and springs. And I mean, it was, they'd worked on it for a long time. And uh, he sent me one. I was, oh. <laughs> and I, I sent him one of our chairs. And then we were on a Zoom call. And he said, God damn it. You know, I paid my engineers a lot of money to make these things. <laughs> and yours is better. And I said, well, I said, well, you know, that's the problem. You, you hired a bunch of engineers, you know, who think in terms of levers and springs and cams and this and that and the other thing. I'm a washed up surgeon. And I kind of think in terms of how, how the, I don't know, how the, femur moves on the tibial plateau or how the how the femurs fits into the acetabulum i kind of think is more of a biologic joint which kind of makes sense because it's going to have to interface with a bunch of biologic joints and i i really kind of think that it's just because i wasn't trained as an engineer that i had a leg up on the problem yeah, and that's one of the things that I admire again about this intersection of all these different specialties is that if you were a hammer, 
all you see are nails. If you're an engineer, all you see are levers and springs and pulleys and fulcrums. But for you, you see, and I don't know if this is going to be the right term or not, but the term that comes to my mind is how fluid and mm-hmm. effortless that shape is in the body, the joints, everything about it, it's all about being very fluid and smooth. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was taking the chair out, cause I looked at it online. I think I could be wrong, but I think I actually found this via a Google search. I don't even remember how I came upon the website. It wasn't like I'm actively searching for podcast guests or whatever. I just, I was looking for, I think that my sit tight had finally broken because I wore it out. And I found this via Google search. I'm like, huh, this looks interesting. But I remember taking it out of the box and thinking, no way. This is way too simple. <laughs> like it was, it was almost like opening the box and where are all the other parts? <laughs> From what I remember, you literally click it together, add the wheels, and I was done in about two minutes. Right. And no, it, the, the, the best word that I can use to describe it is it's just fluid. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, that's what we're going for, you know, because we're going to, we're interfacing with a, with a biologic organism. So we want the the, the the active mechanism to approximate that sort of thing. And and this, you know, it looks a lot like the patella, you know, it looks like a, you know, a joint mouse. It looks like, you know, any number of things that you would find in a biologic situation. Yeah, the first thing that I actually thought of, and for those uh, that are listening that don't have any video, it actually looks a lot like a shoulder pad that you would put like mm-hmm. under your shoulder or something, just a very similar shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, beyond the fascination with the look of it and the simplicity of it, here's the real question. How does it actually help? How does it relieve back pain? And how does it relieve all of the other challenges that come with sitting all day long? Um, so I kind of... One of my degrees is in math, and so I kind of think of it um, as a Markov chain Monte Carlo simulation problem, um, which is to say, you know, the, the human spine has six joints between uh, every two vertebrae, and there are 24 vertebrae, so there are a lot of joints in the spine. So the spine can adopt an immense number of different conformations, most of which are silly, painful, or, 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 or impossible. And because there are so many different configurations of your spine, it's very difficult to figure out how it ought to be. But if you make a chair just a little bit unstable, people are constantly exploring the space of how their spine could be a little bit different because they're constantly having to adjust it in order to stay balanced on the chair. And automatically, people explore this space. You know, if they tried a slightly different posture and it's not more comfortable, they go back to the posture they had before. If they try a slightly different posture and it's more comfortable, they stay there and then explore some more. And very quickly, people find a posture that really works for them. I've done this experiment many times where we we go out to the walking street in, in Burlington, Vermont, Church Street. And um, just put out some chairs and watch what happens. And it's always the same. You know, people sit down for a moment. You know, they they're surprised that it's unstable. And then you know, they there's this moment of recognition where they uh, they uh, their spine says, "Oh yeah, no, I got this. I have all these spinal reflexes." And so you know, their shoulders come down, their sternum comes up, the head comes back, the lumbar lordosis in their back reasserts itself. And within 90 seconds or a couple of minutes. People are really sitting in a very balanced, very stable posture that looks a lot like, um, you know, the way people look when they're sitting in Zen meditation or something, you know, because the spine is just like exploring the space of all the different ways it could be and finding the way that is, 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 is the way it should be. 
So given that, I can understand with the, the ergonomics of it, the lack of balance, which is very intentional, um, very similar to the topo mat. You're constantly but subconsciously having a change and shift, and it's all these minute differences. Mm-hmm. But does that go as far to say that if you're going to be sitting in this chair all day long, it negates all of the negative effects of sitting all day long? I would never say that. You know, I mean, you're you're much you're much better off, you know, getting up and going for a walk in the woods with your kid, you know, there's just so many things, you know, that are better than sitting at a PC, you know? <laughs> but, but if you have to sit at a PC, uh, you know, one thing you can do is to stay moving while you're sitting at a PC so that when you get up, you, you don't have that ah, moment of, you know, trying to get up because you kind of been walking the whole time. Um, and, you know, as a result of, you know, being moving all the time, your core muscles will be stronger um, you'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. Um, and, you know, it's, it's astonishing to me the number of people who um, kind of love the idea of active sitting. Um, the equestrian crowd really uh, embraces it because, you know, it sort of recapitulates what horseback riding is like. And so, you know, they, they can only go riding on the weekends, but, you know, they can kind of stay in shape for riding all week long. The uh, uh, martial arts crew loves it because um, the optimal posture for martial arts is a posture where you can move in any direction without preparation. Um, So, and this is kind of what balanced sitting is. You you can move in any direction without preparation. Um, It's a, it's a habit of the nervous system and the, uh, and the way of holding the body that um, is extremely useful dance and martial arts and so on. The easy thing to measure, of course, is, you know, we just hook people up to a, a rebreathing mask and measure their expired CO2 and their inspired O2. You, you run it through the Weir equation and you can compute how many calories people are burning. And we find that people are burning 20 or 30 or even 40 percent more calories when they sit actively, which has um, very salutary effects on on blood chemistry. Your good cholesterol goes up, your bad cholesterol goes down, your glucose goes down. All of the all of the things that'll matter over the long haul, twenty or thirty years, um, come along for free. I have spent almost ten years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core Three Hundred and Sixty. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day, and that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour, but if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. 
To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. What I love the most that you just said, which tells me that I'm talking to the right kind of people that I like to to surround myself with, is you're basically saying, you shouldn't be using my product all night long. You shouldn't be using it, but if you have to, I want to create the best experience that I can, but get out, go walk, or stand at your height adjustable station, or use the topo mat, or whatever it is, but if you're stuck and you have no other choice, this is a good option. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because I want to talk more about the initiatives above and beyond just creating this chair and marketing it as uh, you know, another desk chair. And that is the, this idea that you actually have what you call the button chair. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's not just about, oh, I've got an idea for a new kind of office chair and I'm an entrepreneur and I want to turn it into a business and I want to help people what I want to make money. For you, there's a much bigger impact-based vision. Right. So I want to talk about the button chair, but I also want to talk about it in conjunction with a stat that blew my mind which is, and you mentioned the one earlier, that 80% of people in the U.S. have back pain. What percentage of people have back pain in, say, Japan? Yeah, no, it's changing. You know, it used to be 3%. But as Japan is switching to a more Western um, seating arrangement, the incidence of back pain is is steadily increasing. Um, and it, it's a phenomenon we've seen before. Um, you know, breast cancer was um, uh, at a very low uh, rate in Japan. But if you look at Japanese people in Hawaii, it's about halfway to what North American breast cancer rates are. And by the time Japanese people are fully acculturated in North America, they they have basically the same breast cancer rate that the rest of us do. So, um, you know, they're, they're better off sticking with their traditional culture for a number of, of health reasons, um, back pain being just one of them. Um, you know, in, uh, in Japanese martial arts, you, you, you don't, you, you sit in seiza, you, you sit in a kneeling position that has your spine with its normal lord or lumbar lordosis, or you sit on the floor. Um, the business of sitting in chairs just, just isn't, isn't part of it. Um, it's very tough for Westerners to get back to being able to sit on the floor. Um, it turns out that squatting is probably the premier posture for human beings. This is the, the way the Hadza, the hunter-gatherers in Tanzania, comport themselves when they're when they're in an active rest posture. But you know, although kids are quite comfortable squatting, you watch them; they lose. You know, toddlers when they lose their balance, catch their balance by dropping into a squat. Most adults, you know, squatting is just a it's just a dream because that they've lost the ability. Almost always by the time they're in grade school, almost certainly because they've been sitting in, in Western chairs. We're crippling our children by making them sit in these chairs all day long. It's it's really kind of heartbreaking. So how does that lead to the button chair? Because I was fascinated by this when you shared this in your TED Talk. Well, so, um, you know, we we had the idea that getting adults to try some weirdo chair would be a heavy lift because we're up against big chair and disinformation and, and uh, the whole advertising world. But kids are much more open to new ideas. So we thought, you know, that would be the place to start, because if you could get kids to expect to be able to sit and move at the same time, they would carry that with them, you know, and maybe... Uh, over the longer haul, make active sitting the norm rather than the exception. 
So we thought, okay, fine, let's get active chairs under kids. But schools, you know, they don't have money to buy glitter for art projects, you know, and the idea that you're going to be able to sell them some complicated, cool chairs, aspirational. I will say that in other countries, um, like um, Norway, they have some very cool active chairs for kids that are hundreds of dollars. But that that didn't seem like something that would happen in North America. So we had the idea that we'll just um, make a chair, an active chair for kids that'll be free. You know, we'll just like give away the design and it'll be made out of plywood, which is, you know, kind of plywood is very cool stuff. I mean, it's the carbon fiber of the 20th century. It's strong and it's light and it's cheap. And so um, we we have a website where we give away plans for making these, uh, what we call them, button chairs. We call them button chairs because they kind of look like a button because it's kind of stitched on with a, a little piece of bungee cord. The, uh, the thing that makes it unstable is a tennis ball. Actually, we started out using tennis balls because there's so many used tennis balls are available that they're basically free. People pay you to take them off their hands. But we also found that kids would wear holes in a tennis ball in less than a week. So we had to switch to lacrosse balls, which are solid. They couldn't wear those out. And then the rest of it is just uh, uh, four pieces of plywood that are cut with a CNC router. But it's got self-locking joints, so you you hit it with a rubber mallet, and it just becomes a solid structure. And um, you know, we we give away the design on a, a website, buttonchairs.org, and it's, the design's been downloaded over four thousand times around the world now. Um, one uh, one school here in Essex, Vermont, uh, somebody donated a lot of plywood, and they made a hundred of them. So, um, you know, it's it's a design that's getting out into the world. And, you know, we get fan mail from all over the place because you know, um, kids love them. And the Boston Globe wrote a piece about it. Well, and one of uh, learned from a lot of the other research that I've done for other products or just learning how to, like we've talked about, create a much better and more conducive working environment if you're a knowledge worker, if you do creative work is that you need to be moving more often. But there's another piece to the puzzle, and I want to know if you've done any research into this, is that especially with kids or people that have attention issues, it's easier to focus and pay attention when you are moving, which no, is one my, of the- my my uh, My sudden awakening, you know, my Satori moment there was, um, uh, we have high stakes testing in New England where kids take a test and it determines uh, I don't know their their future and academics and stuff like that. And um, we we had our chairs out on Church Street. And we we're just kind of showing them to passersby. And some woman sat down on one of our chairs, and and uh, she immediately got it. And then she and then she started to weep. And she said, "You know, my kids had to sit through the kneecaps, the high stakes testing last week. And I know he would have done better if he'd been on one of these chairs." And you know, it's just one parent. But it's one parent who really knows their kid. And I thought, you know, yeah, we don't we don't have the data yet. But that one parent really sent me off on a on sort of a quest. And it turns out other people do have data. There's work that's been done in Germany where they take kids and they hook them up to you know, 32 lead electroencephalograms and then put them on tippy chairs and watch what comes out of the electroencephalogram when they're sitting, you know, on a dead chair or a tippy chair. And the electroencephalogram looks quite different, you know, more alpha, less, less theta. uh, uh, You know, is that even good? Uh, You know, it's it's a change, but 
but fortunately, the researchers had had the wit to give a math test to these kids while they were sitting on active and non-active chairs. And the kids who were sitting actively, you know, scored 30% higher on this math test. So, you know, the 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 output is uh, really quite substantial. So there's a lot more research to be done to understand the intersection of creativity and movement. But you know, just to say the the early the early findings, uh, you know, point to yeah, no, it's 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 huge, and and we have you know, I, I have uh, friends who work with, um, in the education space, and when they have kids with um, ADHD, they are they have to like invent ways for them to move while they're in class. You know, they 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 take a, a broom and turn it and saw off the handle and put a, a cane tip on it so the kid can, you know, kind of move around while he's in class. And I thought, well, you know, we could make something better than that. It would be a little more stable and a little more. So so I I, I kind of think it's it's a big deal. I'm going to um a um a conference, Ed Spaces in Charlotte, North Carolina next week to kind of uh talk to the the powers that be in big chair. And as you may know, there are tippy chairs for kids that are um, kind of making their way into the school space now. Um, I think ours is more interesting and better, but I'm I'm eager to get in the conversation. Yeah, well, I wish that I could speak to all kinds of double-blind controlled studies that are all this data. And like you said, that's just not there yet. But I have so much anecdotal evidence, whether it's from my own experience whether it's from clients and students of mine, whether it's from my wife, who's a third grade teacher and all of her classroom by her choice, by getting donations, not because the public school district funded it, but she found a way to sell fund. So all of her kids have active chairs. My father's a, a former reading specialist, worked with people with dyslexia, ADHD, autism. And what all of them have universally seen is that you can get kids to focus more if you can keep them moving. Because one of the things that you said in your TED Talk that frankly got the biggest laugh is that what, what kids teach us in their default state is that the worst possible thing we could do is sit in one place all day long. Right. Just watch them. You know, uh, you know, they're they're all over the place, no matter what kind of crappy chair you give them. <laughs> it, but it says a lot that your wife has to self-fund chairs for her classroom. I mean, just how wrong can that be? You know, yeah. what, what is wrong with this country? Uh, but yeah, that's a different topic. That, that's a soapbox for a very different podcast conversation. Um, and I don't want to go off on that tangent, but yes, I have a lot of very, um, very enthusiastic and not so pleasant thoughts about that, but we, we won't go there. Um, so I want to, I want to end with digging a little bit more into what I call the self-promotion phase of the program, which is talking a little bit more about the different products that you have, because it's not just one chair, or one option. You're now developing a whole series of options. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I guess the first place to start is where can we send people? And then how can we figure out what are the best options for people based on their needs? So we have a website, qor360.com. Um, it's like core, but um, all the C's were taken. So we got the Q's. <laughs> I was going to ask why. Like, where did that come from? From from an entrepreneur's perspective, I know there are at least 15 different meetings and whiteboard sessions. I'm like, how'd they come up with QOR? And you're like, the C was taken. I love oh, it. The C's were taken. So And the K's were taken. So we, we're down to Q. Um, <laughs> But it's easy to find because a Q is in English is always followed by a U, but not on not on our website. Mm. Um, so you know it it it's, it stands out in a search. So um, our uh, as a 
as an epidemiologist, you know, my my task is to try and make a chair so inexpensive everybody can have one. So, um, you know, we 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 started out by inventing a rocker that seemed like it would like make chairs less expensive because it was drop dead simple. Um, but it's it's hard when you're working in Burlington, Vermont, and it's a U.S. product, and 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 you have to, I don't know pay for patents and pay for insurance and you know and so on and so forth so our first chair kind of used a um one of our rockers but then we thought well you know maybe if we got rid of even more stuff we can make something that, that we could sell even less expensively so the, then so uh, the next thing we came up with was um something that we call the tilt which um kind of gets rid of the gas cylinder and all that kind of stuff and and it and it even gets rid of our signature rocker and just uses a single industrial grade mammoth motor mount but it does everything you want you know it tips in all directions has a handle to carry it and the height's adjustable but we can sell that a lot a lot less expensively we've got uh, a couple other versions of our chair that body workers really love because um uh, you know, they, they're they very precise in what you can feel while you're moving. Most people, I think, just want something that's comfortable enough to sit on all day so they can work on their spreadsheet while their spine is moving and their hips are moving and uh, their, their feet are moving. Um, so um, anyway, we've got four or five different kinds of chairs on our website. And, um, you know, we're happy to talk to people <clears throat> via email if they have any questions about which one they'd like the best. But any of our chairs are way better than most of the chairs that big chairs passing out. Yeah, and the, the and biggest expensive. I, I was just gonna say, you stole the words out of my mouth, is that um one of the biggest barriers for a lot of people is if I don't want to sit in my Aeron chair anymore, oh I can save a bunch of money. And then they look at the other options and they're like, whoa, this stuff is just as expensive. Now, you know what, I'm just gonna stick with what I have. And for me, the clincher on the site was like, ooh, this is actually really affordable. And that to me is that that's really the difference maker between I'll give it a try versus if this thing isn't guaranteed to work. I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to stick with what I have. And that was one of the other reasons I reached out and really pushed to to make sure that I could test this and then do this conversation is that there's now an option that works. It's also affordable, which has been like the holy grail that I've been searching for for a decade. Right. And as an epidemiologist, you know, if people can't afford a solution, it isn't a solution. So um, I and my designer chums have worked very hard to try and, you know, design out costs so we can sell these things less and less expensively. Um, and, you know, we've got other things on the drawing board that we hope can be still less expensive um, because, um, you know, we want to we want to make this so easy that everybody can have one. Well, I'm going to make sure that everybody goes to core360.com and that's Q-O-R. 360.com. Knowing how passionate you are about this topic, is there anything that we've missed that it's just going to drive you crazy that you didn't get to talk about before we wrap up? Well, um, we want people to move even more if we can arrange it. So um, it's in beta still, but we have an app that keeps track of how much you move on a chair and reports it as how many calories you're burning in real time. Um, took uh, a year to write the code. It runs off of the um, accelerometers in a smartphone, so you don't need any hardware. It's, it's, it's free. You can, you can download it for free. It runs on iPhones and on uh, Android phones. It's called the Fitter Sitter, 
F-I-T-T-E-R, S-I-T-T-E-R. Um, so it, it allows you to keep track of how many calories you're burning, but also has the game of Pong, where you use your body as the game controller. Um, with the idea that um, if you need to take a break from what you're doing, you can play Pong, but you are the game controller. So um, it gets people to move even more. Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to design more engaging and more active games to kind of build into it. So um, it turns out there's a lot of different directions you can take if you're just trying to get people to move more, which is our end game. Well, I very much appreciate you taking the time today to speak with me. I appreciate all the work that you're doing in this, the the golden years when you could be sailing or playing golf. You're instead <laughs> trying to solve the sitting epidemic. Uh, and I'm going to do my absolute best to get as many butts in your chairs as I can, because I'm now a believer. Well, that's that's the goal. And, and uh, we've had a lot of help along the way. And thanks so much. Yeah, you're more than welcome. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks again, Zach. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you've subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.